Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. are so happy to be here with uh dave willis uh the uh the co-creator behind uh aqua Teen hunger force squid billies your pretty face is going to hell and so many other things uh thank you so much for joining us today yeah thanks for uh thanks for having me yeah of course um our pleasure and jake is here as well jake say hello uh, I hope that all of the listeners here have already listened to our, uh, our Adult Swim retrospective so we don't got to play catch up. We can get <laughs> right into the meat. We can get right into the nitty grit. Yeah, let's do it. What, what, where do you want to start? Uh, I guess I should be running this, right? How about at the very first thing I really want to ask about that I'm so curious about is really kind of at the very beginning is that you actually got the, and, and forgive me if you've been asked about this a million times, but you actually got the job there by writing a uh, referral page in crayon uh, in, the, in the voice of a little boy? Well, it seems kind of, kind of quaint now, but, uh, but yeah, I, I had worked on a, on a shoot for a CD-ROM, if that dates, if that dates. <laughs> uh, a Cartoon Network CD-ROM, and I talked to the producer, and she knew, she knew somebody, met with Matt Thompson, who went on to do Archer, and uh, they were like, well, we don't need, need anybody, but Andy Merrill, the guy voiced Brack and was very instrumental in uh, one of the guys that created uh, Space Coast Coast to Coast needed a PA. And yeah, I just sent this letter that was written by one of my uh, sister's special ed students, <laughs> but I told them what to write, which this is like, ah! <laughs> Uh, my name is Robert. I am eight. Dave Willis exhibits a professionalism, which I find profound in this day and age. <laughs> Recommend him without reservation. Here is a car, Robert. <laughs> so that's already way ahead of, see, we're getting good deets. This, in the wiki version, you just wrote that yourself. Yeah. That would be bad, although, <laughs> kid, um, yeah, yeah, I, I think that got me the gig, honestly, but, you know. So was PA on Space Ghost Coast to Coast even like a livable gig at the time? Like that's, no, so it's not. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, I was making, I got hired for $250 a week, which uh, in 1995 dollars is still $150 a week. Uh, like it was, it was enough for me to tell my parents I was moving out, but not, not much more. Uh, I had to, I had to get another job uh, at night until I could kind of, but I think it's one of those things. It's like there was where they sort of dare you to take the job for that much money. Right. So, right. Like how committed are you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, handed me a bunch of swag and like a bunch of VHSs <laughs> of uh, space ghosts that were like, and I watched them that week. I I was not that familiar with it. I just read about it in an article somewhere. And the show was only like, they'd only done like 15 episodes at this point. But I watched uh, like six of those episodes that he gave me. And I was like, I could not believe how lucky I was to be working there uh, after I saw those. I was like, my mind was just completely blown. 
What? Because I guess speaking of the wikis and stuff, I mean, when we when I look at it, it, it seems that your life began with getting this job. What were you doing creatively before this that led up to this? Did you have any formal training, anything like that, um, writing wise or anything? No, I mean, but I wasn't hired as a writer. I mean, I was hired as sort of the lowest dude on the totem pole. I mean, I was organizing tapes. I was, but I, I once uh, my foot was in the door, any opportunity to be with, you know, Andy when he was writing and I started submitting stuff, you know, the week after I got hired and, you know, Andy would look at it and say, you know, he'd throw some of it away. Some of it he would use or recontextualize it. I should say that the show was cartoon planet, which was sort of like the daytime, more kid-friendly spinoff of Space Ghost. And I worked on that for Andy for about six months. And then I got moved over to work with Matt Harrigan on Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Um, but uh, no, I mean, I was super, I was a creative person and I was, I wrote, but uh, no formal training whatsoever. Um, you know, but you look back on all the, the comics that I did for the school paper and all the movies that I made growing up. And I mean, it makes total sense. And I was just, you know, I'd take any job I could get, you know, I was doing, I probably had 50 some odd uh, shoots under my belt at that point, like just lugging C stands and uh, working the fog machine for some ad for a roller coaster, you know, just any sort of just grunt work, you know, uh, raking up leaves so I can throw them into a fan for some rapper to look cool. <laughs> Unseemed hip hop video. Uh, you know, anything I could do to get on any shoot, I would work for free just to kind of try to network and, you know, working in the entertainment industry, especially in Atlanta in those day, that day and age is pretty is few and far between the job. So. Yeah, and what would, all right, so I guess, so now now you're at Adult Swim in the very early days before it's even Adult Swim. Like, what is that environment like? Like, what is, it, it seems so crazy to me how Space Ghost even came to be. Space Ghost was already happening, though, by the time you jumped on, right? Um, but, but, but you saw, still saw Adult Swim come into fruition, and it just seems so insane that it even exists, so what was it? Was it like this Wild West scenario in that warehouse space? I guess so. I guess it was. But, you know, we didn't have anything to compare it to. You know, we weren't in L.A. where everybody works in that field in one way, way shape or form. You know, we were sort of this weird little pocket. And before we moved to that carpet warehouse, you know, where there were all these stories about like how that was the original home of TBS and how, you know, there were still some old timers that used to work in master control that would say, yeah, I saw Ted Turner, you know, came down here at 3 a.m. with Raquel Welch. And he said, <laughs> uh, you know, there was like old timers like that still hanging on from the early days of when it was the Superstation and when uh, Ted Turner was pushing cable. And I got hired right at the beginning of the end of Ted Turner. Like, I remember Ted Turner buying, like, syndication rights for ER and walking through the lobby. You might get a, an eye on him, like, once a month or two. But uh, – and uh, I had golf clubs because I was going to play golf after work with somebody. And um, I remember him passing me and just telling somebody, and that, like, what were the ratings on ER? <laughs> it was 3.2. And he's like, and that's why I got it, didn't I? And he just, <laughs> golf clubs for just a split second and I was like oh it's just fixed in my memory <laughs> it was uh I don't know you know they didn't have a lot of money they would buy things and then they would flip it you know like TCM was he just bought MGM for the library and he spun off the studio and then he had the library and he started a cable channel and Kate and cartoon was the same with Hanna-Barbera he bought Hanna-Barbera and just so he could start a cartoon network and Space Ghost, I think, came out of trying to repurpose that stuff, but recontextualize it and make it into sort of a new thing, but do it for a penny. And that's how, you know, and it, that came from sort of the Mac, Mike Lazo, who was our boss, his, his ethos of, of, of trying to, you know, do Monty Python 
with, with pocket change and huge comedy guy and a guy that also uh, wanted to do something that no one had ever seen and no one had ever done before. And he had the power to get it on the air and, uh, and also the creativity to sort of inspire and push us. And of course he contributed as well uh, to the writing and the producing and trying to just push it to a place where it was just willfully weird. And, uh, and I think everyone sort of took a, took a cue from him, you know, he, he bought folk art and had it, uh, just all over the building. I mean, when we moved back into the warehouse at William street, you know, he talked about making it into a, uh, into like a pirate ship and he wanted to fire a cannon across the interstate at TBS and TNT at three o'clock every day. And I don't know if he, <laughs> I don't know if he actually did, uh, actually asked to do that because <laughs> On the flip side of his coin was that he was an, a respected executive and, you know, he had to play the game as well. But I think he always understood that um, there was an audience for funky kind of cartoons. And, of course, I mean, at that point, Simpsons had been on the air for years. You know, Beavis and Butthead, I think King of the Hill at that point. I mean, it's like, no duh, you know. <laughs> I mean, there's an audience among adults for this. Uh, and, and I think there was also, I'm sorry, I'm getting super long winded here, but I love this. No, no, no. Keep yeah. going. This is what it's all about. Yeah. But like Nickelodeon, you know, would have their nighttime Nick at night because you know, what four year old <laughs> up at, you know, midnight. And so I think that was the thinking of adult swim too, is like, well, why don't we, uh, you know, how are we going to get that money from Michelob light and the U S Marines and these PG 13, at, uh, movies, well, we'll have a little more of an adult component and at night. And so that didn't come on until uh, around 99, 2000. But the first four years, 95 through then, I just worked on Space Ghost, which is just this one lonely island on this otherwise just sea of stuff for kids. Um, so that's a question uh, I actually have is uh, during those early Space Ghost years, was Space Ghost just this fun after hours project and everyone's real jobs was just maintaining the day-to-day -day programming? Or was it that Space Ghost was a knowing tip of the spear for this late night push? And everyone knew that like, I guess, when did the, when did the mental switch flip between, yeah, we're just making sure that there's enough uh, Thundar the Barbarian reruns on at 3 p.m. And when are we a full-blown production studio? Well, like I said, like I started, they had uh, 15 episodes under their belt. I remember they were cutting, this, Harrigan was cutting the 16th episode when I got hired. Uh, but Harrigan worked on it full-time. Uh, Keith Crawford worked on it full time, but Keith also had sort of a position in the department as uh, sort of handling all the financials and budgets of the department. Um, you know, Mike was president, uh, head of, or vice president, head of programming. So that was his full time job. People like Kathy Jones and Andy Merrill worked in programming and development. They weren't doing a whole lot of development in those early years because they just didn't have a ton of money for it. So this was all, always sort of everybody's sort of fun side project. Uh, Matt Malero was, Matt had left the show by the time I got started. But yeah, it was like everybody get in a room for a couple of hours. Can you spare a couple hours on this day? And, and um, you know, it, as the show grew and got a little more uh, attention, um, I think, they loosen the purse strings a little bit more to kind of enable for it to be more of a full-time production. So by the time I got hired over there, probably beginning in 96 or got moved over, um, I was on it full-time until the show ended pretty much with, and I was working under Matt Harrigan at the time who runs the streams department uh, for adult swim now. But yeah, it was, 
it was fun. It was a fun, uh, fun, fun show to kind of try to pull, you know, try to pull comedy out of the dirt. And also, you know, you couldn't really be edgy. I mean, when South Park came along and was just so, you know, vulgar and just totally trashing all FCC norms, we kind of looked in awe. We were like, we can't even say uh, poop, you know. <laughs> we have to. We're a kids network. We have to be like just. If we're not going to be edgy, then we at least we need to be willfully weird, you know. Yeah, I think if, I feel like uh, so much in our research, we find that there's, it's the restrictions that lead to the really great work. Was the, you not being allowed to be dirty, especially at that age? When I think all of us, when we're creating work, especially in our what your twenty, your early twenties, or whenever it was. Uh, I feel like uh, the the go to is to be as over the top and ridiculously filthy as humanly possible. Um, yeah, that's true. And the things that I remember growing up that really stuck. I mean, there was one thing that Molero always used to mention: Lupo the Butcher. This, I think it was like some stop motion thing where some butcher who just goes crazy and it's all bloody and you know, and he came sort of from horror. And I always liked things that were just sort of extreme and. Uh, yes, you, I think you're very much correct because sometimes you can use it as a crutch and it's real lazy and uh, and I certainly think some episodes of Aqua Teen even, you know, once once they took off all the seatbelts, it was kind of like, oh, we might have leaned too hard on certain easy <laughs> tropes that, and now at this point, um, it, any show that's sort of really vulgar to me feels almost lazy i'm not a prude i'll say i'll drop f-bombs right now guys you guys want to <laughs> yeah i'd like to hear an f-bomb fart <laughs> yeah <laughs> david i'm gonna need a name i'm gonna need a name i'm gonna need you to just fucking throw someone under the bus or something you what is a joke that looking back on it now you're like ah okay i didn't need to say that <laughs> i i have to think about it but i i actually the weird thing is it's like i i don't really watch them but i just recently got hbo max and so then i started watching and i've got a 16 year old and i was like he's never seen any of this so i'll i've watched a few with him and um you know it's weird some some of them uh some of them really hold up for me and then some of them uh really don't i i don't you know it's uh, I, I certainly think that some of the rape humor in Ham Banana maybe is not as funny at the time. Of course, we also thought, uh, you know, well, it's funny if Carl gets raped by a dog. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, watching it, I was like, ah, hit and miss. <laughs> One of the thoughts I had rewatching a lot of uh, Adult Swim stuff was between, uh, yeah, stuff like Hand Banana, a lot of stuff in C-Lab, a lot of stuff... It was like, oh, this was 2002, 2003, and this was the exact last second we could make these jokes in a conscious free bubble of awareness <laughs> when it was still edgy and funny and completely yeah. innocent. True, true. I think sometimes, too, we would just do super violent stuff, which was funny at the time because it was just so over the top, just like Shake getting his hand cut off and just... <laughs> A gusher of blood just coming out of the wrist hole, or just hit, or Carl just getting his skin pulled off and just going, oh, it's kind of breezy in here. But you know, it it. But I wonder over time if we if we just I don't know if we leaned on it too much. But it sort of it still felt like the type of thing that you wouldn't really see on Fox on at eight o'clock on Sunday night. So it don't you felt, ever fear, feel guilty about all eyeball Carl screaming in agony. Don't you ever feel bad about that? <laughs> that made my fucking awareness of humor. <laughs> oh, good. Well, good. But, uh, I mean, you know, I'm not, Hey, I'm not trashing it. I mean, look, it's, I'm proud of what we've done, but, but some of that stuff, I just feel like we've done it so much over the years. Now you, you're just inundated with it. It's like it doesn't feel as unique. But, you know, whatever. 
you mentioned uh, uh, the moment the seatbelts came off um, in terms of y'all being able to do the, you know, crazier content, edgier content. Was there a specific moment in time, like I, I assume working on, it would be working on Aqua Teen, when that happened, when they said, hey, you can actually push things further here, you can push things further here? Or was it like a slow open, uh, you know, uh, opening of the gates into not full on childlike content? Oh, opening of the gates. Because they, when they started Adult Swim, I think they focus tested a ton of parents to sort of uh, determine how they felt about it changing tone. And they would, they did all these ads. That like, you know, they started the block at like midnight and it kept sort of bringing in earlier and earlier and earlier in the evening. And they would put up these disclaimers and... You know, and standards and practices, I mean, I I suppose I wish I would have kept some of those emails because they were so <laughs> like the fecal matter in the toilet must not be of a brown or blackish quality. It has to be. A, so then you're, you find yourself going, so I'm making the shit green. Uh, all right. Uh if you do, if that's what you so desire, you know. Uh, that's so funny because it's so much grosser to make it green. It's kind of like um, the the radio edit of WAP is uh, wet and gushy, which makes you want to throw up. Uh, you know what I mean? Like I, I love how how <laughs> accidentally they make it grosser by censoring things. Well, I, I'm I'm gonna pull up something right now. <laughs> I'm gonna pull up a little audio note that I gave on. Um, that I gave on a cut of Squidbillies just this morning. And this only because this is the type of note that we would get from standards and practices. Uh, oh, wait. I want the ass clap sound effects to be thicker, deeper than the rough cut, and less of the slushing sound effect of the ass cheeks getting into position. <laughs> slushing? Still, still working towards that Emmy. <laughs> You know, standards just kept loosening it and, and the time kept getting earlier. And then uh, the shot heard around the world was like, well, FX is now airing the word shit. Well, I guess we can too. We're still limited though. Three shits a quarter hour. No more. That's amazing. Um, and yeah, so so then you you, you have this success. I, I'm, did you, I'm guessing you did not foresee how popular Aqua Teen Hunger Force would be would become right or, or or was it all along you were like this is going to be the next big thing oh man i wish i wish i had that kind of confidence in my life um i i loved it i loved it like it was my child and um matt did too matt malero did too and we were both passionate about it and we and I can honestly say I didn't understand people who didn't immediately love it. Like I was almost confused. It was almost like they were from another planet to me. And only in looking back can I understand why some people might not have. Like I, you know, our boss was very supportive. I don't think he quite loved it in the beginning, but I think he got with it. And I also think he really liked us. And I think he was very supportive of us. But I do remember like in the bathroom at a urinal and a ad the guy in charge of ad sales got next to me in another urinal. And he said, yeah, you really pulled that aqua teen thing out of the fire. <laughs> <laughs> the way you mean pulled it out of the fire. He's like, well, you try going up to New York, trying to sell a meatball as your next uh, character, big character. And I was like, I, I, I just didn't get it. I, I, I was crazy about it, but I never, I never, it never occurred to me that it could be um, successful. I mean, Space Ghost was always kind of a cult thing. And, and I sort of thought, um, I thought Aqua Team would be in that vein. And as long as I could make a living doing it, I didn't really, um, I didn't really think about it that way. But it was, it was hugely fantastic for me and my life that it became more uh you know it was never like south park or anything but it was more successful in a way that you know my wife was like wow i didn't think that thing was going to make it uh, 
So Space Ghost fits like a very kitschy 60s sci-fi like uh, uh, late night talk show. It's, in, it's all established characters, however you want to define Space Ghost as established, obviously. So like it almost, it almost fits a, 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 a niche that existed, whereas Aqua Teen is this detective uh, concept that is completely abandoned within five seconds of the first episode. Uh, it's a bunch of guys in Atlanta making fun of people in New Jersey doing just all these crazy limited animation gags. Uh, I guess, I guess uh, what me, I'm just gonna talk about Carl. Carl is like the heart of the show in many ways. Mm. And like, uh, you know, you grew up in the South. Like, what is it about this gruff New Jersey guy that, that like made you want to include this character and make it such like the core foil of all the events that happen on the show? I don't ever think he was like envisioned as quite a, as big in the show as he became, but um, he was sort of modeled off this character in a Space Ghost episode that Malero and I wrote. Space Ghost had a had a um, neighbor in his apartment complex that was sort of this older Italian gentleman named Dominic, who would always just pound on the door and, "Hey, Space Man, maybe dial it back on the." Uh, on the D-Light, Groove is in the Heart song. <laughs> Heard it four times. I come over there the next time, I'm gonna wrap that freaking uh, record play around your head. But my, um, my dad and my uncles are all from sort of Long Island and uh, so kind of channeled some of that. And I had a roommate from uh, New Jersey in college named Dollar Bill and uh, he loved, uh, loved the Giants and he loved the Ghetto Boys and I just uh, and then just some of the heavy metal stuff you know that uh, the Malera loved it, it was just sort of a perfect storm of a bunch of stuff and it was kind of cool that he would be the straight man but by episode seven you find out he's like stranger than they are in some ways <laughs> so I don't know, it kind of fell into it. And I, I wasn't initially going to do the voice. We hired a guy to do the voice and he was, it kind of sucked. And, um, and I was like, well, let me just do it. And we just stuck with it. And that's how a lot of things would happen anyways. You know, it's like, we didn't have any money anyways. We'd just be like, all right, well, Matt, get in there with your guitar or we'll just pitch my voice up or whatever. And, you know, and then we would be like, this, this works. It's funny. Let's just keep it, you know. Yeah, I wanted, so I wanted to actually ask you about your, your writing process, um, both with, uh, with Matt on Aqua Teen, of course, there's all these other shows, and then more recently, Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell uh, with Casper um, uh, Kelly. What, what, how, how do you approach, do you co-write the script fully with, like, is it you and Matt sitting, bouncing ideas off of each other? Do you, do you come in with ideas? How does the process of putting like writing an episode of Aqua Teen happen? Because I want to be a writer as uh, for living as you. So that's why I've asked you that question. Who's the type guy? Who's the walk around? And who types? Guy? Cause I always have to type when I work with Henry. Um, <laughs> you know, some people, I don't know. Some people are like, you got to figure that out. I mean, Matt and I got, sort of thrown together, but we would make each other laugh very easily and we would really just gossip and talk and about things in our life and things in the world. And then invariably it would eventually sort of evolve into making jokes or as long as we sort of had a, once we developed kind of a premise, it all came together, but it really was very organic. And, you know, with Squidbillies, it's the same thing with Jim Fortier. And, um, you know, and in the later years, we've added Alan Stedman as we just talk and just talk about things in our life. And, and it just sort of evolves into something. And everybody's got a different, a different approach to it. You know, Chris... Chris, I worked with uh, sort of later on at Adult Swim. We, we developed something for Super Deluxe that eventually became Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell. But he, uh, you know, he was very much, he had been in a writing partnership where he would write a script and then he would give it to his partner and his partner would rewrite. And then he would get it back and he would rewrite it. And to me, that always seemed a little adversarial in a way because you're always going to pick your babies. 
And, you know, if you try to use Collabo Writer or, uh, you know, one of these janky programs from uh, Final Draft or put it up on a big screen and have somebody that doesn't, that isn't a writer's or writer's assist writing it. I like, I've heard about those processes and that those just don't seem very, the thing with Matt, Matt would work the keyboard and Matt would throw everything in and he wouldn't judge anything. Like the, the thing that came out of your mouth, he would get it on the page. And sometimes it would have a reality and a spark and a, and it was just funny in a way that you would never really sit down to craft a script. It just felt real, like uh, two people trying to make each other laugh. But, and I thought that was a huge lesson to me. Like he just, he never judged it. He never said, well, I don't know if that's going to work. Like he not trying to cut it off at the pad. He would just be like, fine, you know, just keep going. And uh, over time we would just trade off. Uh, I mean, on, on squids, I mean, Jim and I, it's like, well, it's your turn, you know, and, and it, I mean, the scripts always have sort of different flavors depending on who's working the keyboard, but, you know, you go through it enough together where it, it, you know, the collaboration is, is there and, um, you know, and really it's evolved the same with Chris, you know, I just don't think he had been, he was used to writing on his own or, or sort of that trading back and forth. And I, I, I really like the collaboration and the fun of, you know, cause otherwise it's such a solitary venture, you know, yeah. you like, I like the social, I like, I like being able to, to laugh and uh, you know, that's sort of evidence that the thing works, you know? Yeah. Have you ever written anything just totally solo or has it always been collaborative? Uh, I have written some, I've written a lot of stuff solo. Um, and some of it I think is, is good and some of it not, but I mean, it's hard to get somebody to sign on to writing a spec screenplay for free for nothing. <laughs> it, it, Much, it, yeah, it's hard to get enough to get someone to read a spec <laughs> screenplay. Agreed. Uh, yeah. And I've written some pilots by myself and, and some other stuff, but in, in a general, in a show, I don't think it's very, uh, I don't, I don't really think it's, very productive to to be the guy that's going to write it all. I mean, sure. I mean, out there, there's plenty of people like, I guess, uh, Noah Hawley, the Fargo guy or whatever, but I don't know any real great comedies where all the scripts just come from one guy. Well, I take that back. I think Archer is, uh, has been pretty much done by, by Adam. He doesn't do it anymore, but, um, but you know, Adam is is a unique individual, and and uh, you know he's just such a such a brilliant writer that I don't really I would never begrudge him. But just for my my take, uh, for me personally, collaborating is is fun, and you know ultimately you're going to do a show, you're going to run a room. I mean, Adult Swim, the rooms were two people, but you know a larger project, you know you're going to have six, eight writers in there, you know. Ooh, I need confirmation from the research. Is it true that Adam's uh, first first draft of the Sea Lab pilot was that bad, and everyone dunked on him for it? Uh, I might get into trouble speaking on to this because there's a lot of it I don't really know or wasn't privy to. I do know that they didn't really they tried it in a different way. Uh, they sort of tried to do a "What's Up, Tiger Lily." with an old episode of C-Lab. So that's, that's hard to do. And they couldn't, and at the time, really, the technology was not such that you could edit or rotoscope those characters out of their environment and move them around and animate them. So when they initially did that, I think they loved the idea of it, but it was, it was imp almost impossible to execute. I mean, we had a, we had a guy who started Avid, uh, or, or one of the, uh, an Avid tech, uh, technician, you know, Avid editing system, saw what we were doing with Space Ghost, and he was like, the, the system is not designed for this. Like all these two-frame edits, all these crazy edits in order to make the, the lip flap match the voice. And 
in the five years that technology came around to where, you know, Apple had Final Cut Pro and there was all this sort of over-the-counter technology that you could actually use to make our janky little cartoons. Uh, Adam and Matt were able to reimagine the C-Lab idea and really deliver on the execution of it uh, in a way that they hadn't before. Another question I was wondering about is, uh, when I look back on the, on the Adult Swim programming, there's obviously the syndicated shows, uh, there's the uh, shows that were pitched and bought, uh, usually from outside talent, and then there is like this inner circle, lasso-based orbit of people that worked on original Space Ghost, people in, out of that Atlanta, the William Street office. And so, uh, like, did you have to pitch shows just like anybody else? Or, like, were you, like, in, I guess, uh, an in-house producer, developer? Like, what, like, how did that, how was that relationship uh, between reg- in-house programming and uh, outside developed programming? Well, we didn't have any relationship with the outside stuff that was all, but that was all, those were all Fox cast-offs and rejects and they were bought for a song. I mean, Family Guy was dead. That shit was dead. The fact that they sold a ton of DVDs and I think part of the reason they sold a ton of DVDs is because it was aired every night on uh, Adult Swim. And I had totally, that show was on my radar until we started hearing the reruns and Lazo was like, have you seen this one where Peter meets uh, the Grim Reaper and he's able to kill all these people with a gun? He's like, it's outrageous. And he was able to get that stuff for a song. It's almost like malpractice among the entire television industry that that show had not been figured out (laughs) and kept on the air at Fox. Uh, But our in-house stuff was obviously low budget and came in from a very insular uh, place where we were maybe up each other's ass, but it was real specific, you know, not, not LA comedy scene funny. It was us just the, the things that made us laugh and we didn't focus test it. And the executive notes were basically Mike's. And Mike was like, take it or leave it. We did pitch Aqua Team. We were, at that point, they were going to do Adult Swim. We had written a, a Space Ghost script that involved the Aqua Teens. And the Aqua Teens had all the lines in the script. Space Ghost had one line, which was like, who are these guys? And we <laughs> loved it. And uh, Mike, I don't think particularly liked it. But, um, but we pitched that show with these drawings that I did and Ben Priss, the background artist for Squidbillies did them. And I remember at the time it was pre iPhone, everybody who had some money, who was big and important had a Blackberry. And I remember the moment that we just completely lost the room. Like everybody went down to their Blackberries, (laughs) not to type like, Oh wow. Are you hearing what I'm hearing? This is a hit. Like <laughs> they were bored with what we had to say. And we walked out of it and Mike was like, I really, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't see it, but he's like, I'll let you make a pilot. And uh, wow. he supported it. And then I think his support got rewarded. You know, I remember coming into work one day and uh, the ratings for the previous Sunday were under my, uh, he'd sl- slipped it under my, uh, door and it was a one five which you know at the time well now it is a (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) at the time it was a big number too you know we were beating um all the late night talk shows and all these all the important demographics all the ones that are worthwhile all all the demographics that have disposable income and use it and uh uh but he he circled it and just wrote something like fuck yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> after that i was like cool <laughs> um now i w- i really wanted to ask because of course uh more recently uh your pretty face is going to hell has been your big project um 
And uh, what was that like? Because I know, speaking of doing something for a song, I know just talking to Henry how tight the production schedule is for that show, what was for that show, how, how you know, I'm sure, I, I can only imagine the budget was very low to, to work with for that show. What, what was it like going from animation to live action, and especially live action that is for Adult Swim that has got to be a tight, tight, tight in terms of schedule and budget and all that stuff? Well, I mean, Chris and I wrote it to try to be, we wanted to learn how to direct and uh, we didn't have many opportunities and all the opportunities were self-made. And so we really pitched this show hard and we got to do something on Super Deluxe that was sort of a precursor to it. And I think I made my my contract sort of contingent upon, can I do do more of these? And you know, neither one of us, even though we were big fans of stuff and we had read plenty of screenplay books and stuff, we didn't really know how to direct. And we had to learn how to do that. And we had to learn how to do it together, too. And that'll test a friendship a little bit, too. You know, I mean, I don't think we were ever super angry with each other. But, you know, we're both wanting, we see it just different ways. And, and uh, you know, we had to learn how to do that. And I would not say that our budget was that small. We, I think they gave us enough okay. to succeed. I mean, Adult Swim is always going to be, you know, a little bit of a trade-off. Like, we, you know, we dare you to make it for this much, but <laughs> we'll let you make it. You know, nobody, el- nobody else is interested. <laughs> you know, everybody else is like, no. <laughs> Why did you waste my time with this idea? Right. I mean, I would rather – personally get something over at Adult Swim because A, I think those limitations, like I mentioned earlier, are actually a, a positive thing, but also I would rather tra- to have that trade-off of creative freedom versus like having some insane HBO budget. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I think with the more money, the more uh, people wanting to put in their two cents and be attached to it. And also the more money, I think, uh, the more... The, the bigger deal there is with it failing. And so then all these insurance uh, stops are put in there and all, all this. And then it sort of becomes almost too big to fail. I've never been part of a project like that. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was, uh, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. We've actually been going for quite a while now, but what uh, I did want to ask that there's so many, the special effects in your pretty face go to hell is so crazy and awesome. Do you have any like favorite onset moments when it came to making giant messes or, or something like that? Well, I mean, we have, I'm sure being friends with Henry, you know, you're, you might've met Shane, Shane Morton and Chris Brown, mm-hmm. you know, there are two, and it's just such a, a blessing to have two maniacs like that, that live <laughs> in Atlanta and that want to do your show for, they'll do any, they'll figure it out. They want to figure it out. And so like, there's, I mean, there's a ton, there are always, I mean, you know, we smeared Henry with actual peanut butter, you know, like, like covered him in peanut butter. And he was like, I smelled like a kid's lunchbox for like a week. Like you go into a public area and people would like, you could see people <laughs> kind of look over at you because they're like, what smells like peanut butter? <laughs> so I have a good one for you. So in college, we did a sketch where at the end of it, two crows come on stage to people dressed like crows and cover Henry in hot sauce. Little did we know that you cannot put hot sauce <laughs> all over someone's skin or they will literally be. So at the first night of the performance, we unleash two entire bottles of hot sauce all over his body. And then his, his whole body was like, he was in so much pain for days. Oh, I just love covering that man and stuff. I can't believe, like, cast him. We got the auditions and I was like, I clicked on Zabrowski first because I was like, this is like a Mad Magazine name. (laughs) (laughs) I click on it and it was, his audition was brilliant. And I was like, oh man, these are going to be great. You know, like I got 50 of these to look at. Like, like if they're all as good as this and they, you know, of course they weren't, but, um, but how could I have possibly known 
that this guy also would have a successful podcast about serial killers where he signs off Hail Satan every and he does not have qualms at all about covering every square inch of his hairy body and peanut butter. Um, but we, we would have we would have stuff like there was an episode where he was pregnant. It was actually written by Craig Rowan, uh, uh, Claude in the show, but uh, he he just has morning sickness and just sprays vomit on six demons, like just ferociously like an exorcist type thing. So Chris just loaded this gun full of pea soup and just exploded it at them. And I think Chris, but Chris uh, Brown would sort of, sort of, he'd also like, sometimes he'd find himself like in the shot. <laughs> like, like, like you can't do, you can't do a shot like that 10 times. We can do it like once. And then we're like, Chris, Chris, you're in the shot. Get out of the shot. So Adult Swim premieres in 2000. It's like this very uh, like early millennial, late Gen X energy. And it's been on the air for 20 plus years now. And you know, what an 18 to 24 year old male is has completely changed. That's just the nature of time. True. Uh, you know, Warner Brothers, AT&T, whatever, Megacorp buys it out. Lazo leaves. There's like, there's all this change going on. Long time, mm-hmm. long time series ends. Like, do you think Adult Swim is about uh, just pursuing the eternal, immature dude, or is it more like a specific? Um, is it more like a specific time and place that, like, if you were an animation nerd in the '90s and you've and like, is Adult Swim supposed to grow up alongside the audience, or is it? Or does is it, it always to supposed do- to be the cool older brother getting yeah. you into, yeah. Uh, that's a great question. I mean, and I'm only just a tiny, tiny piece of the puzzle, you know, and I can only sort of comment on the things that I want to do and the things that I think are funny. And I think, I think I've got some ideas that speak to people my age and my generation. And then I think I have some ideas that, are not unique to any generation. I mean, I'm going to get in trouble if I'm chasing like the people, you know, going into college, even though I think I have a a interesting understanding of it with two kids that are probably going to be headed to college here in, you know, Mm -hmm. four or five years. But, uh, but I can only do what I think, what I think is funny, I think Adult Swim certainly tries to grow. I think there's some continuity from those days. I mean, Keith is still a big part of the department. Uh, Mike Lolene is running uh, the department. He was, you know, he worked, uh, he ran on-air department for Cartoon Network and was the, one of the co-creators of Harvey Birdman, attorney at law. And he's running Adult Swim. I and mean, Harrigan is running the streams, as I mentioned. And then you've got, you know, Walter, who uh, is, is sort of the newish guy, but he's been with us for a, a long time, uh, and he's running all the development team out of L.A. And I, I think there's certainly an understanding that, you know, when we started, we were probably the shortest show on TV. And when we were done, we were the longest show on the Internet. You know, so obviously the – the audience has changed and I think they're trying to figure out now even where do I, where do we put our resources? I mean, right now people are cutting the cable cords quicker than uh, anyone probably thought and, you know, and signing up for streaming services. It's finally kind of gotten to that point that everyone's talked about for years as it would eventually happen. But no, I don't think, I don't think Adult Swim would ever, I mean, they'd be crazy to pigeonhole themselves as, uh, you know, we're going to be the place for animation freaks from the 90s. <laughs> that doesn't seem like a very good sell. As uh, an animation freak from the 90s, my heart is broken. From the 90s, my heart is broken. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's changing, but it, will, but it will hurt my heart if we ever give a show to like a YouTube influencer. Or <laughs> right, right. <laughs> It's so going to happen though, dude. <laughs> even when I'm old and decrepit and, and uh, that there won't be a, 
that there will still be a place for things that are willfully and lovingly made to amuse and not just, you know, shout out, you know, like, like some, you know, YouTube thing or whatever. And um, I, I'm guessing you've got some, uh, some, some stuff in the oven right now, working on some fun stuff these days. Yeah, I've got a few things, but they're all sort of like in the last, uh, the last sort of stretch, you know, and I'm sort of wondering what it's going to be like to pitch them to people via Zoom and, <laughs> and they're trapped inside because everything outside their house is on fire. You know, are they going to be like halfway listening on their phone while they're hosing down their roof? <laughs> you know, wearing a mask so you can't tell if they're smiling or crying. Uh, it, it's been a very weird year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, of course, we're doing, you know, another season of Squidbillies. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, we're working every day. But, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's like everybody else, just grinding it out, you know, right now. Well, uh, I will say I do attribute Aqua Teen's success to 9-11. So, hopefully, this <laughs> shitty year will help. <laughs> it was a bounce back. I think it was a reaction to Muslim extremist aggression. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, I think that might be just as good a place as any to uh, end it. Um, thank you, Dave, for doing this. This is so yeah, cool. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, greatly appreciate it. Um, and uh, Jake, do you have anything before we uh, sign off? It's just amazing that we get to talk, whenever we get to talk to someone who is actually in the room, uh, as opposed to just taking wikis and old articles and one really weird VH1 special from 2003's word for it. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Dave. Yeah, thanks, guys. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.